and welcome to the Professional Services Pursuit, a podcast featuring expert advice and insights on the professional services industry. I'm Brent Trimble, one of the hosts, and my guest today is the head of operations at ORM, Andrew Forsyth, better known as Bear. Bear being your nickname, not a moniker of the agency. I should clarify for our listeners. ORM is a DCX agency that helps brands do better business by creating their own digital roadmap. Bear, it's great to have you on the show, and thanks so much for joining. Thank you. In this episode, we're, we'd love to explore your journey into operations and in that agency context, the role of technology and data in a modern agency as you go through modernization and how you prepare and support your org in making those operational changes and bringing them through a journey of change management, which of course is always ongoing, but I, but I think it'd be really interesting and relevant for our listeners. Before we dive in, tell us a little bit about yourself and then contextually your journey within ORM, your role and what your current mission is there. So I'm a Canadian who came to the UK as a tech and started looking after resource management during the Olympics and gone through an interesting journey of agencies taking on kind of the next step, the next step, the next step, just learning and kind of plowing away in operations. ORM's a, a, a return visit for me. I worked there a while ago and we did some great work together. And after I went and did a few other jobs, I came back to them because really wonderful company to be with. We mostly work on like platforms and services, making different applications, user journeys, simplistic, things like that. So now ORM is kind of a, a mixture of data, technology, service, consulting people. So it's an interesting challenge from an operational perspective because you have a whole host of different people working in different types of uh, verticals. And you've got to bring them all together to make successful projects. So different people with different kind of journey types from creatives to technicians who know so very much more than I do about what they're building um, to data and the clients. And it's an interesting challenge because there's, there's so much there. There's so much that everybody needs. And it's kind of part of the, the job that I really like is that um, we're connecting all the different facets of the business, be it finance and HR, be it technology, be it uh, a creative person or a content editor, bring them all together, allow them to work seamlessly together and allow them to collaborate and do their best work. Um, so I think that the, the ongoing journey from doing just pure resourcing to doing all this operations stuff for me, it's just been really fantastic. And I'm really happy to be doing it where I am right now. That's great. And tell us, maybe talk a little about, so, you know, of course, in the agency context, whether that's a creative comms shop that's doing, you know, a lot of broadcast work, of course, we'll be seeing a lot of that work here soon in the United States um, through the Super Bowl, of course whether it's a public relations agency or an activation or biddable media, or in your case, digital transformation with platform builds and development and strategy, people in all these agencies are the product. Yeah. Right? Ultimately, people, talented people coming together 
collaborating, driving strategy all the way through to completion. So resourcing, I would assume in, in your case, had a had profound operation implications. And then moving from resourcing into operations seems kind of natural, but maybe not non-intuitive. Some folks move from resourcing into talent. Some folks will move from resourcing into maybe recruiting or Talk to us a little about your journey, that switch from, okay, I've, I've got a handle on resourcing, and now I want to take a broader view in operations. I would, I would absolutely point to the, the London Olympics for this. Uh, I worked with a chap named um, Todd Olson. He was actually an American from Nebraska, a project manager, and he was, I think it was his fourth Olympics, if I'm not mistaken. And the point of my job with this was was resourcing, and uh, it was actually in talent acquisition as well. So we were looking at bringing people in, training them, you know, that whole side of it. Uh, and he really kind of broadened the scope of that. You have to think about project delivery. You have to think about, um, you know, timing, and you have to think about stock management and the logistics and all these sorts of things in, in doing the resourcing. You can't be focused on just the people, just the talent. What is it you want to hire and and fill those holes? You have to look at the strategic uh, view of it and how you fit that in with the wider project plan. And so for me, that journey was, I guess, educated and pointed. We had to get, for us, almost 600 people in the door, but we had to get them in the right places at the right time, minimal cost, all those sorts of things. And so you look at operations as a wider function, part of the project management office in our state, and it allowed us to you know, collaborate the people who are purely looking at scheduling, the people who are purely looking at talent, uh, and, and combining them with the people who are looking at deadlines, deliverables, shipping manifests, and all that sort of type of stuff. And his goal was bring it under uh, one roof, bring it under... Uh, a piece of technology or uh, a single point of contact where you can look at that as the whole. And so for ORM especially, we kind of take the same sort of approach now. Uh, I've carried this kind of forward through those agencies and you go into ones where it's more creative focused. You need to focus a lot more on um, the people, the assets that they're creating, storage, management, these types of things. And we go into technology agencies, and it's more about we have the right talent at the right place um, for the right platform, but you also have to be able to supply them with everything else they need. They need to be able to access customer information. They need to be able to create documentation. They need to be able to um, you know, put out release notes, et cetera. And so that widens that scope again. It's not just about right person, right project, right time. You know, there's everything around it in that sphere that you have to make sure also has those optimum conditions to give a project success. Optimum conditions. You know, I think about that. There was a a peer or a mentor I had actually from the UK as well um, years ago. And he said, you know, operations in an agency create the conditions for success. And I thought that was a that was a really good line, and, and it's interesting that you uh, you bring that up as well. But in the case of ORM, you you making kind of that personal shift in, in maturation or growth from resource management to overall operations. Of course, what you know, resourcing is going to be a function of that. What was the journey like taking 
the agency through that. And I think you've done it a couple of times, but talk us through this notion you shared previously of, you know, moving from spreadsheet Meyer into, into more of a mature operations posture. Yeah. I had a very interesting conversation about this today, actually. Spreadsheets are lovely. I'm a big Excel nerd. I love making spreadsheets. I'm going to actually have to make one and I'm actually pretty excited about the concept of it, but I haven't done one in a while. But the thing is that just exactly that. I love it. I love my spreadsheet. I built it. I know what it does. I'm really proud of it. There's this sense of accomplishment in building something that works really well in Excel. And uh, there are people in every business who can do it well. And then there are people in every business who think they can do it well. I probably am one of the people who think they can do it well, to be perfectly honest. But you tend to put this trust in it. You put this trust in the fact that you've built it and that you know what it does and you know how it works and it's giving you the right information. And more often than not, if you give it to somebody else, they break it or they get a different story from it than you got because they filtered it differently or whatever the case might be. I've worked with a couple of businesses where our resource operations were in spreadsheets, our project finances, the overall business finances, you know, everything was in there. And for some aspects, you know, like your calls on how much a client is going to bring into the business over the next quarter. Sure. Great. Let's put that in there. We can add it up. But one of the things that you start looking at is that, you know, there are these errors introduced and then nobody's really paying attention from one sheet to the next. So you have a project manager who's focused on the delivery of their project. They're putting in their actuals so that they can track their burn uh, and they're putting expenses or what have you in so that they can effectively manage that cost aspect of the project triangle. But then there's me over there going, well, my spreadsheet says that you had 40 hours booked and you're only using 24. So that's bad business. That's where we start to look at the holes that start to appear. And spreadsheet to spreadsheet, they often don't talk. You know, in, interaction between them is possible, but people don't generally tend to make the project manager's budget spreadsheet talk to the resource manager's uh, forward planning. Right. So it's data and silos. Exactly. And and it's not until you start to, to, to kind of compare and do the work to bring those numbers together and those formulas together that you can start to pick up like things like I say, the uh, mismatch between request and uh, you know, allocation and, and usage or uh, that a person's cost maybe has changed. Maybe a person was promoted and we haven't updated their cost, therefore your margin is out. All these sorts of little things that get introduced. The more you rely on that type of environment, the more you're you're naturally introducing those errors. But you become accustomed to the way that you're being presented data, and you don't necessarily question it. If a function is running properly, then why do we worry about it? And it's not until you find something, you know, maybe a big thing, maybe a small thing, but it's something that's showing you that your data is wrong. And so while I love it, I like I like working in the environment of the, of the spreadsheet. Uh, at the same time, y- you have to recognize that over time, your data is probably going to get worse rather than better. And the errors that you're seeing are going to get wider. And so for the businesses that I've been with, one of the first moves is to move them into that OSR environment, to move them into a system where we can uh, have the the command and control, the comparison, the input, the output, the reporting is all coming from the same 
metrics. It's coming from the same calculations and it's coming from the same source. Um, and as soon as you start to do that, you really get opened up to those things that you were missing before. You know, the fact that, yeah, sure, from your perspective, your data team has been running at 100% allocation because the project managers have been fighting for their time. But in actuality, so-and-so didn't have objectives ready to go, so there was nothing to do for a week. You've lost out on that opportunity to you know, check and rebalance that. Yeah, so it's almost like a manifestation of, I think the math term is something around that, um, going back to sort of early business school math here, so apologize in advance, but like the base rate fallacy or base rate neglect, where you're looking at two different data sets that are related, but ignoring that the potential for the base rate could be wrong. Their contextual information, what they're interested in is interesting to them, but they ignore the possibility that those two data sets aren't connecting and therefore they're kind of interpreting from incomplete data. Precisely. You know, we both proved that kind of accidentally that some, some, uh, yeah, like, um, second <laughs> sophomore year, uh, business math can come in and, and be useful and be relevant. When, when you're looking at data and, and I think this would be really interesting to, to users and to uh, listeners, particularly of those that are going through kind of a journey of modernizing operations or kind of doing similar to what you have. Let's lift out of spreadsheets into something that's common. There's a couple of ways to think through that, right? You, you're looking at the array, you have experience, you're seeing disparate data, and you're saying, let's unify from the inside out. Let's, let's begin uh, maturing and getting this data into a into a platform where that has some common themes and we can orient around that. The other side might be the inverse where someone says, you know, we've got some data, it's bad. Like the performance of the shop is poor. Our, our margin is maybe off. We seem to deliver projects late all the time. We seem to write off a lot of time at the end of the year, those types of things. And therefore they might pick a few orienting principles that are operational in focus. Like these are the operational levers, performance levers we want to orient from. Now let's work back and see what we have to do to achieve this. Talk us through how you arrived at at those or or utilize kind of those different principles. When you look at what you can you can do in managing a business, and often from operations, people are talking about costs and they want to see you manage the costs in your business. And so that then you look at resource management. So you look at, can we do as much as we're doing or more with less? Or do we have uh, positions we could outsource or contract or what have you? I think I've found that when you, that's a lot of people's starting point. That's the, the first thing that they point out is like, let's reduce costs, right? We need to plan for some better stuff here or whatever it might be. We're trying to optimize the business, but they're not looking at how those people are truly being utilized by the business itself. They're not looking at, again, uh, the comparison of bookings to actuals. They're not looking at the, the comparative points of data about each function. Resourcing is that. Utilization is that. Finance. Let's look at um, when we're doing our project wash up at the end. Can we compare these things against our uh, estimates, against our plans, and so forth, and, and do those comparative analyses there? And 
is there anything that we can do more efficiently through automations? Um, and that's been a, a big one for us has been automations in terms of managing business costs because we don't want to introduce new applications, which introduces change. We don't want to, you know, so somebody comes up with an application and say, this thing is fantastic. It does X really great, great. You know, everybody wants to buy it, but is this the best way forward? One of the things that we've spent a lot of time doing is looking at how can we do what we're doing today in a smarter, more efficient way. And nine times out of 10 for us, that means let's automate the function. Let's take, um, for example, our Jira system and integrate it with our our, our um, timesheets, right? So that we can get flow across data. We've got actuals, plus we have a, a record of uh, estimate via uh, actuals in the Jira tickets. Let's automate the function of setting up projects to relieve administrative stress against our project managers. Um, so our Salesforce connects into our uh, Mavenlink application and creates the projects for us. Uh, sending out invoices, uh, doing financial planning, what are the revenue milestones in a project, all these sorts of things we can create functions for so that we reduce the administrative overhead across the business and thus we can free up people to be either better creatives, better project managers, whatever they might be in without having to look at the cost Academy at all. And we can look at that as a last thing because you started this off by saying this is about people. And that's absolutely true. And the people that we have in our business, we've hired for a reason. We've hired them because they're smart and they're good at their jobs. So when you look at the efficiencies of your operations in the business to look at cost cutting as the first step basically says that everything that you said about your people is probably not true. I guess that's maybe a more opinionated look on operational levers, but I think that's where I, I, I come from on that. Yeah. So this notion that the product, the product are the people, and in any kind of agency consultancy, um, fee to service hybrid type of service firm, payroll costs are going to make up, you know, what sixty to seventy percent of of overall cost, right? So your notion here is orient around productivity, make people more efficient, give them back more time to do what we intended for them to do, which is innovation, strategy, creative for our clients, and uh, make operations kind of a, a frictionless barrier to, to good performance. Exactly. Most people didn't go to school, earn themselves a degree and a place in a business like this to spend their time doing timesheets. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, let me ask you another question. So we, you know, we work a lot in a consultative fashion with, with clients and prospects, and we use a few tools where we walk through kind of current state, you know, where you are right now as an organization in operational maturity. And we subscribe to some third party data, uh, that's, um, very objective. It's been in market. It's a kind of a longitudinal study, been in market for some time. It's from the Service Performance Insight Institute. And they they survey around uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty sizable data set, like six or seven hundred different organizations, and look at things like by your size of firm, 
uh, maturity in key process areas. And then if you are fairly mature, refined, you're using automations, you're using platforms, you're using, for instance, a CRM platform that's tied into a, an operational platform that's tied into a uh, general ledger, you have some integration and some automation there, you know, you're probably mature, but like you, you might be a four out of five. And in that case, there are some industry indice metrics that are relevant and that are kind of common. One, of course, might be EBITDA, all right? If you're a shop of 300 people billing at a certain rate, you kind of understand where your, your costs are going to be, your EBITDA, uh, if you're really mature, might be like, you know, between 20 and 30%. Less mature, you might be negative EBITDA. You might have gross margin, but you know, to your you, you may have made some some tough hires. Maybe had to sunk, sink some time into a um, into a really demanding client, and you know, had a challenging year in terms of EBITDA. What from from your vantage point as an operational leader who's taken some firms through some change and now approaching? It sounds like some some good levels of of maturity. What are the levers you look at as a leader that indicate things are going well or we're optimal or getting there? Is it is it things like profit, revenue per consultant, chargeability utilization, or is it more like compliance and and more at the qualitative level around people, usability and, and things of that nature? People are happy or they're uh, churn is low. What are what are some of the to share with our listeners? I think just to hear from someone in that in your role, that operational role. What are some levers you look at that that signal strength and and health? Uh, yeah, interesting. So, I mean, your story that I can think of at least twice where that's happened with a large client taking up too much time. But even yeah, uh, is course. definitely yeah. one of them that we we constant pay attention to right um eva does one of the ones that we are uh every month in our company meeting we talk about it we talk about where we're at against target where we're going how far off we um we also then look at you know where we should be in terms of billable hours for the year Mm -hmm. you know across capacity the capacity of the business as well as per head per department per, per skill area because um, we break down, you know, not just into uh, technology, but then, you know, into subsects of technology, campaign, solution, QA, whatever that might be. And we look at the, the efficiencies and the, the utilization of those areas as well. So resource utilizations, again, it's a, it's a you know, a high level one that everybody wants to know. They want to know people are using, we want to know the best value of money out of the people that we have. Mm-hmm. And when you say utilization, so... There's just raw sort of pure utilization, which is a function of how much someone is working. And then there's chargeability or billable utilization, which is of that, what percentage are people working on billable work? So yeah. in your case, are, do, you, are, are you, do you split them out? Are they synonymous or you, you look at them? Uh, no, we look at them separately. So everybody in our business has a billable target percentage against the role. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do look at whether or not an individual has met in that period that billable target. But then there mm-hmm. are other factors to that. There's sales and marketing time. So mm-hmm. sales and marketing time has to be considered a productive utilization, productive function of the business because it's leading us to our next wins. 
We can also look at administrative time. So we track it independently and we look at how that administrative time was spent. So we break that down into some generic categories. We also look at training because we have a training program throughout the business and there are people doing certifications all the time. But we want to manage and measure that as well as a percentage of the business, you know, because we have that budgeted and at a value that we want to spend per year. But outside of that, projects, we look at the project health. Mm-hmm. So we're um, timely delivery. Is that a metric you look at? Uh, timely delivery, absolutely. Yeah. So we do compare estimated close date to completed uh, in mm-hmm. our system. So we understand how projects completed. So completing on time is one, completing on budget, <laughs> always the goal. Sure. Right. Uh, with minimal defects. So we operate at uh, at least 90% defect free across of our engineering teams. So we measure that again through labels and integrations between JIRA and Mavenlink to be able to track that in reporting. We look at project health checks though. Um, so we look at a, a RAG status of, um, you know, five different areas that the, the client, the, the budget, the project itself, et cetera. And we measure those on a weekly basis so that we can also see when people are actually calling out issues. We can see it presented to everybody in the business who's looking at these reports that, you know, uh, if anybody's calling out their RAG status as Amber because of X, we're all aware of it. Um, and so we have dashboards for that. And then we have project and, and client margin. Obviously, we're going to be looking at that mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and again, we track that in the same way. We, we uh, set an initial baseline from what the project was costed and sold as. And then we track against that until the completion of the project where we get a final um, pre-AC EAC margin, and a final margin after costs and expenses. And we'll measure what happened there too. And we can do that with our system. We can go right down to the individual. Right. So we can see whether there was a resourcing decision to put, let's say, a lead person on a, uh, a mid-weight role. And thusly, we burned faster project budget, faster project costs as a result. So it's a wide variety, but I think it's all important. It sounds like in your role, you know, a lot of these health metrics are driven by talent economics because you know you're you're an agency you're a consulting firm that's 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 very natural where you know operations in a different industry might be very logistic you know it might be supply chain it might be um, um, raw materials and 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 those types of functions so so it sounds like a lot of these orient to the um, talent economics as as well as client burn, um, budget rolling up to the overall strength of the of the agency as it pertains to profit. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys look? It's it's interesting. One of my previous guests we we were talking about, and he does a lot of consulting in the space. Has written some some books, does some some operational work, and he was saying that you know orienting at least one of the metrics about around a revenue per employee or consultant is a trend he's starting to see and he thinks it's a good one. It's a, it's a bit arbitrary, right? It's an outcome and there's a lot that go into that, but saying that it's a, it's a good measure of, of strength. And, you know, you can measure it year over year, see how you're doing. Is that, is that anything you look at just out of curiosity? Uh, so I absolutely have an RRR report, registered rate of return per head. Um, so we can see that we have that set as a value for each individual, um, but it's not a report I rely on. 
Um, to be perfectly honest, there's a lot more to the story about a person's work, work ethic and quality of work than there is the rate of return on that individual. If a longstanding problem exists there, you know, absolutely there's, there's need for action. But, um, in a lot of cases, some of the people in my business who have the worst RRR are the people who win us the most amount of business. Right. Right. So I have to make a consideration for, and that's where the productive versus billable time comes in is to understand again what a person is doing as a, as a well-rounded individual mm-hmm. rather than just that individual that we're selling time of. So looking in multiple dimensions of the business as it pertains to that person, not simply them, yeah. them as an output metric. When you um you know, you've gone through some of these processes of of maturity. And um, it sounds like at, at ORM, you've, you know, you've got them in a really good state and, um, you know, fine tuning as you go, but certainly there's some, some really, you know, you articulating the metrics that you're looking at certainly connote a pretty mature organization. When you started on that journey of, of getting out of, of spreadsheets into more maturity, um, I'd love to hear, and I think what where listeners would really benefit from is your insight on change management on, on sort of gearing the organization up for that, probably articulating what was going to change, uh, why it was going to change, and then how that change was going to be executed. And then in, in an agency that's you know chock full of very talented folks, articulating you know what's in it for me, right, is, is, always, <laughs> is always the key because that, that kind of drives – you know, a little bit of compliance. And of course, none of us have ever really lived till you've been chasing a thousand creative folks around the world to, you know, get timesheets in and so forth. But yeah, maybe just break it down, you know, like, you, you know, the process of what was going to change, articulating why and, and what the benefit would be, and then executing it you know was it kind of a big bang approach was it more incremental i'm a a believer in a more staged approach rather than a big bang Mm -hmm. um although my personality is completely the opposite i try to get everything done all in one go so they they kind of fight against each other unfortunately um we took it an approach recently did they ever bear did they ever bear hug (laughs) i think it's more like if you've ever watched like brown bears having it out on (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a battle, but we at the the beginning of um, twenty twenty one uh, when we implemented Mavenlink into the business, it was a big change for us uh, in in some ways because we were already working with a, a platform tool and it wasn't working great for us, and we weren't getting the data that we needed out of it. We, we were having problems and concerns, but the um, the end users uh, enjoyed the product. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was fairly simplistic to work with. Um, and what we had the challenge of doing was saying we wanted tenfold the data and information uh, whilst not increasing the individual workload uh, to, mm-hmm. to give us that. In some ways, there's successes there. In some ways, there's not. But the biggest thing for us was communication. And as you said up front, there's, there's always that what's in it for me. Um, and in a lot of cases for us, it was about explaining what was in it for the business. Right. And the reason for that is because, you know, we're all in it together is a saying that's come around a lot in the last 
couple of years, but as a business like ours, um, we are. It, the What we produce is the sum product of the whole. It's not an individual contribution that wins it. So understanding how the business was going to be impacted was one of the first places that we went with it. You know, we're mm-hmm. going to be able to do X better because Y. Um, we'll be able to understand uh, why last year we weren't able to give you enough training time. Mm-hmm. Right. And being really communicative about it. Um, I think hiding any of the things that you're about to do uh, in, in order to even produce a wow factor at the end is, is just silly because people worry when they don't know the whole story sometimes. So we led everybody down the path of um, this is the product and we're actively training it on you right now as we're showing you how it works. So we made that leap between we're introducing something uh, to your learning it uh, kind of in a very seamless sort of way. We did that explanation and then immediately thereafter, people started taking part in, in seeing it and touching it and actively being part of it. Um, and whilst that's happening, we're also able to iron out any of the thinking that we've done in advance mm-hmm. because we've, we've solutionized problems that we had. We've solutionized problems we didn't have, but everybody else is going to touch it. And same as with the spreadsheets, they're going to break it in some way. And so almost through active user testing of the implementation of our tool, we were able to refine and model the approach so that when we came out of it, and it was about a month long period that we did this in, when we came out of it, we had a much better sense of how the tool was going to operate for us and how the people were going to work with it. And when we said we're launching this, everybody was very comfortable with the idea. Now, admittedly, we're a 60 person, 70 person business. And you doing that on a much larger scale, it's going to be a much different story. You know, um, the amount of work that you need to do up front, ensuring all of those, those problems that you are foreseeing are actually dealt with and handled in a way that are going to be beneficial to the people that you're working with. Um, highlighting if there's change here, what will it do to this service or how will it impact the way that we communicate with our clients or any of those things working with our clients. Change in any business is often feared. I've heard a number of change managers say the worst part of their job is hearing from people that don't want to change why what we're doing is a bad idea. Um, But change is inevitable. Change is a constant. Everything in life is always changing and business will always change with it. The best thing that you can do is make people feel comfortable with the change that's going to happen to the best of your abilities. You know, and again, through communication, through the ability for them to be able to touch and test if it's possible to get those cheerleaders on board who actually really like it and were there with you right from the beginning and to introduce it. Um, we were also lucky in the fact that we had part of our uh, wider business, part of the DCX wider business was already using the tool that we chose. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to pull them on, have them do their normal operations and see what came out of that. So we kind of had a very golden situation for this. And, you know, to your point around this notion of what's in it for me and then people who are reticent to change, 
as as you've gone through this process and and resulting benefit, you know, have have any of them come to you, you know, just anecdotally and said, "Gosh, you know that um, this turned out pretty well," and I see, you know, maybe profit sharing in the agency was was better last year as a result, or we were able to retain some folks that we might in in a period of instability had to um, furlough or, you know, some, something tangible to that. Any, any success stories around that? Yeah. Um, we, again, you get both sides of it. So we've had people who have said that, for example, our integration with Jira is absolutely fantastic. They love it. It makes their t- life so much easier because, uh, you know, time just streams across. They don't have to spend as much time doing their timesheet at the end of the week. And you said earlier about chasing creatives around the world for them. I mean, every agency's problem is timesheets. Um, so that person who comes back to it three weeks later, most of it's already done. Um, and then on the other side, we had people who said that uh, they find it awful. They like the old version better. They don't like it that it automatically streams over because maybe they were putting in time there for a reason and they want to do this other thing. You never ever win with everybody. That's for sure. No, of course. But um, one of the project managers at a, the previous agency where we did this said to me that um, they found it easier to deliver their project because of the fact that they could trust that we had created the environment to give the data that we all needed. That he could trust in the system to say you know, you have X amount left in your project or you have this many tasks scheduled or what have you. And it was the right information. And it's because he had put in the care and attention to build the project. We had put in the care and attention to manage the system and the system data in the ways that we needed it. And we had put in the care and attention to create the reports that then output in a clear and concise manner what they were doing and how they were impacting that project or the business. Which are always the good ones to hear about. You know, it, it is it is always kind of a feeling of, of of great accomplishment when you make somebody else's life easier. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like in that case to to wrap on potentially a concept we talked about earlier, but this notion that good operations in an agency consulting environment create the conditions for success. So at this individual practitioner level. You had you were be you were able to do that, create those conditions for success, and it it came through in a in a tangible way. Yeah, and then other people won't notice anything ever has happened. Instead, right. that, that wonderful saying, right? If you've done everything right, nobody will know you did anything. Unfortunately, for operations, that's also very true. <laughs> if you're getting things right, people just think everything's running wonderfully. If you get it wrong, oh, but this is listen. This has been great. So to for for our for our listeners, you know, we've been, we've been talking to bear um, Andrew Forsyth and his journey in operations, both personally from, from resource management into more of a, a full comprehensive operation role, um, currently leading change in operations at ORM. And before we wrap, you know, any final thoughts you want to leave somebody with maybe, maybe somebody who's considering an operations role, in an agency or making a switch from, from a different practice and contemplating that anything at all kind of as a final thought, I'd say I've done a lot of different jobs in my life, everything from manual labor to warehouses and it roaming technicians and things like that. And it's probably one of the more satisfying roles I've ever had. If you make a career in operations, 
there's pretty much no end to the learning. It doesn't matter whether or not you have to pick up a new application or an entirely new tactic. You know, someone who's dealt with resourcing who's suddenly looking at supply chain management. There's so much opportunity there if you want to continue to flex and expand yourself. This is a role that does it forevermore. That's great. I appreciate the time and and your depth of insight and and level of detail sharing with our listeners today. So thanks again. Um, as a wrap up, as is customary in practice, feel free to reach out to us here at uh, podcast at mavenlink.com with any follow-up questions, suggestions for future episodes, um, anything really at all. Again, that's um, podcast at mavenlink.com. And Bear, again, thanks for the great conversation. Really, really enjoyed it. And I think our listeners will as well. Thanks very much. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get your podcast on any podcast app. And to learn more about the transformative power of Mavenlink, go to mavenlink.com. Thank you for listening.